is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Grant Hill, professional basketball player for the Detroit Pistons. You know, when I get thirsty, I reach for Sprite. You see, Sprite refreshes me like nothing else because it's the only drink with that cool, crisp, refreshing taste that satisfies even my manliest thirst. Yep, that's Sprite for you. Drink Sprite because you like it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the big one that we have been waiting for. We've been talking about it for a while. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. And today is the Grant Hill episode. And ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Mr. <laughs> Grant Hill, number 33. The guy you all know and love. He's here. Grant, thank you for coming. Um, my man, thank you guys. Uh, first of all, congratulations to both of you. Uh, on the podcast here, Bad Bad Boys and Beyond. I love what you guys are doing. I'm a fan, and uh, and thank you for 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 letting me see that or hear that commercial from <laughs> back in the day. You talk about bringing up stuff from the past. That was uh, that was pretty funny. But nah, this is uh, exciting. I, I really, like I said, I really a big fan of you guys, and excited to be here with you today. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we love the Sprite commercials. Uh, I used to have your feel of shoes as well. I mean, you, you were a big influence growing up, uh, growing up on Keith and I. So, <laughs> if yeah. you if you were out there selling merch, we were buying it. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, so we're gonna go uh, through some some uh, questions with Grant. We're gonna go over his career from from Duke all the way to the Phoenix Suns, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get us started off here with uh, a question about. Um, uh, uh, your your Duke days. So you you went to Duke, as everyone knows. You had that amazing moment with Christian Leitner where you quarterbacked that ball all the way down the, the court. Um, but previous to that, I, I've, I've always wondered this, and I hear this on the, the Knuckleheads podcast a lot, that uh, Quentin Richardson and, and um, uh, who's the other guy? Sorry. Uh, Miles. Darius yeah, Miles. Yeah, Miles. Darius Miles, too. Yeah. Uh, was there another school that you – might have been interested in going to. Did you visit anywhere else? Could any any other school have gotten you? So interesting for me. I grew up a, a huge Georgetown Hoya fan, and you know, I, I went to their championship in '84 with my dad. You know, we had season tickets at the Capital Center, so um, you know that that was my first sort of love, like a team that I fell in love with, and. Um, so Georgetown was in the mix, North Carolina, um, that 82 championship when Mike, you know, then Mike Jordan hit the cha- uh, the game winning shot against my Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, so that that game, that final four, um, you know, that's what like, man, got me into basketball. So those were the two teams I followed. Um, ironically, um, Michigan was a team and particularly that 89 team that won. Um, you know, I, I, I liked one of my favorite players then was Sean Higgins. And, um, and I remember reading about Sean, I even saw some video of him, but he was six, eight, he could play on the perimeter. 
he wasn't sort of a six eight guy who had his back to the basket. So uh, I was really a fan of Michigan because of Sean Higgins. Uh, and then they win. Uh, and then I actually went up there. That was my junior year in high school and went up for um, an official or excuse me, unofficial visit uh, a week after they win the championship. So mm -hmm. my mom took me up there and I actually went to my first Piston game, went to the palace and drove all the way from Ann Arbor um, to um, to Auburn Hills, uh, saw the Pistons game. Uh, and, um, but yeah, so Michigan was in the mix and then last but not least was Virginia and I'm from Virginia. And so Charlottesville was about two, about two hours from, from my house. So those, those were the five schools, but I'll tell you what, I was probably leaning more towards Carolina than Duke until I made my official visit to Duke in, in like, I guess maybe August of 89. So, wow, Michigan, Grant Hill on Michigan. Can you imagine if yeah. that would have happened? That's you and it would have been you and the Fab Five then, right? It would have been well, around that I mean, time. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have played. I've been coming off the bench with the oh, Fab that. Five. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, and, you and Jalen Rose would have been fighting. For, that would have been interesting, fighting yeah. for that that point position. Um, just real quick, though, as a as a as someone that grew up a Georgetown fan, because I, like everyone were, remembers those Georgetown teams with, with, with Ewing and they were so dominant, but they were also kind of like the losses you remember more than the wins. Right. So like what, as, as, as someone that grew up a Georgetown fan, what, what hurt Morty losing to North Carolina or that Villanova game? You know, the Carolina loss was sort of the first, like I was becoming a Georgetown fan. You know, they, okay. they had Pat Ewing that year, 82. He was a freshman. We went to a game um, in, in the old uh, McDonough Arena on campus, and then they had this in, in improbable run through the play or through the uh, the tournament. And so, so each win, I became more and more a fan. And, and we bought a we bought a Betamax. <laughs> we bought a Betamax like the week before of the Final Four. And so, like the first thing we taped was that championship game. And so for me to be able to like rewind that and, and watch it over and over again. Um, so like I fell in love then. So then by, by 85, uh, we had won in 84. Uh, we were going for back-to-back -back championships. My dad took me to Rupp Arena uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. And it was just a foregone conclusion that Georgetown would repeat. And they beat St. John's, who was really our toughest rival. We beat them in the semis. Villanova beat Memphis uh, State in the in the uh, on the other side of the bracket, and then all of a sudden, this incredible game from Villanova. They stunned the world. They stunned you know Georgetown. They stunned me, uh, and they pulled out that victory. One of the great upsets in, in in NCAA championship history. That was when I was heartbroken. Like that was that. I mean, I was emotional after that game because my Hoyas lost. And of all teams, they lost to like yeah. Villanova. Like Villanova was like on nobody's radar, but you know Dwayne McLean, Ed Pinkney, uh, yeah. Gary McLean. You know, obviously Roley Massimino, one of the great runs in NCAA tournament history. So that '85 championship game loss that that hurt a lot. That loss. Yeah, yeah. HBO's got a great documentary about that that game. Um, 
If, if anyone can find it, I don't know. I tried to find it a while ago. It's pretty old, but it's it's really good. Yeah, Ed Pinkney of all people. He was so I could have swore that I think that game got to this day. I think that game was the reason like why he had a an NBA career just because he he was he he was damn near perfect that game against you know Patrick Ewing. It was it was nuts. Um. All right. So. All right, coming out of uh, uh, Duke, uh, of course, everybody, it, it was kind of weird because, and, and I've shared this story in the pod before, but I just happened to be sitting next to to Don Cheney at the at the draft lottery party, who was the yeah Pistons head coach at the time. I was just a kid, so I was able to, I saw the, the chair next to him was empty, so I was able to bum a seat. And we were watching, it was game seven of the Knicks and Bulls, and at halftime of that was the lottery. And... When the we all had in, I, I'm sorry, Grant. Like me and everyone else in the room, our, our heart was set on that number one pick. We we all everyone wanted Glenn Robinson that year, right? And like you, you were in the mix, but like Glenn Robinson, I think no matter who got the number one pick, I think he was going to go first. It's just you average thirty points in the Big Ten. That's I don't know how many guys have ever done that, right? But uh, so the lottery begins and. The Pistons wound up uh, with the third overall pick. And I still remember this to this day because you can see the wheels kind of turning in, in Don's head. And I forget who was sitting next to him. I think it was one of his assistants. And after about five seconds, you know, he, he counts on his fingers, Glenn Robinson, uh, Dallas is going to go Jason Kidd. We're getting Grant Hill. Like b- before I even left that lottery party, even though the Pistons were picking third, I already knew who we were getting. And that always I mean, it, it, that always stuck with me because I'm like, okay, well, I I guess we're getting I get Grant Hill. I get I need to uh, do more research there because he look even though you were a national name, I'm a Big Ten kid, so that's like those were the guys that I knew. Right. Uh, so coming into the uh, coming into the league, and and by the way, is there any uh, any stories you you? would like to share about uh, your, your experience from the lottery to the, the draft itself, like your, your pre-draft experience, uh, any other teams other than the Pistons? I, I know some of this is in your book, but yeah. any other teams other than the Pistons that uh, maybe had some interest, strong interest in you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I mean, that thought process that you just shared uh, the night of the draft lottery. I mean, I think I was thinking the same thing. Uh, first of all, uh, People may not remember or may have forgotten, but Big Dog was had as dominant of a year in 94 as any player in college basketball history. And I mean, just the numbers he was putting up were incredible uh, to see a guy with his size, his power, his touch from the perimeter. Um, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was fun for me to watch, you know, until yeah. we had, to, until we had to play against him in the tournament. And then it was like, Oh, this is not, this is no fun, but um, and I even think, and you might remember or recall this, but I think when that night at the lottery, when Milwaukee, um, it was determined that they had the first pick, uh, they pulled out a, a jersey with, you know, number 13, Big Dog. Yeah. Um, so that's how dominant he was. Um, and so as you start looking at things, okay, Milwaukee will go with Big Dog. Dallas has a second pick. Well, they had just drafted Mashburn the year before. And then the year before that, Jimmy Jackson. So yeah. the right piece for them would be Jason Kidd. And then I'm thinking, okay, Lindsey Hunter, Allen Houston were in the draft in 93. 
you got a point, you got a shooting guard, um, I'm the small forward. So it just, I, I think everyone maybe just assumed that that was going to be the order of things. And, um, and it was probably the, you know, obviously the right assumption. So, you know, as we start preparing for the draft, you know, I really like, I wanted to go to Detroit and, and the thing that was interesting was, you know, I, I had just played in an environment where, you know, we had won championships and obviously that was the expectation. Um, and, you know, Detroit wasn't far removed from that championship experience. Yeah. So um, the idea that, you know, going to to an organization that had won and won recently uh, and had an expectation of winning, even though in recent years they, you know, things had kind of bottomed out uh, after that incredible bad boy run. Um, and so, like, I wanted to be in Detroit. And I remember I made a visit. My dad and my agent and I um, flew up um, and um, we went to the palace. Um, this was right before. The practice facility had not been completed right adjacent from the arena there. So we went over to Oakland University, where I think at that time the team was practicing. And, um, you know, Billy McKinney, Don, Ch uh, Don Chaney, members of his staff. And I, had, I put the, pat the, the Pistons practice gear on and I started warming up. And then Don Chaney said, all right, you don't have to do anything. We know what you can do. And uh, and so that was great. Like I was like, all right, fine, I'm good. And so uh, then we went uh, and had lunch over um, at Genopolis. Um, um, and I can't remember the exact streets, um, but everybody I think knows Genopolis or remembers a great Greek restaurant. First time I had Zaganaki, um, the flaming cheese. Yeah. And, um, and Joe Dumars joined us for lunch. And so, you know, I was, you know, I remember watching him in high school and, you know, obviously following his career. And so I was a little bit starstruck uh, to be in the presence of Joe. But when we left Detroit, it was like, okay, this is like, this is it. This is where I want to be. I didn't really see anything else other than Oakland University and Indianapolis and, and the palace. Um, but I saw enough and um, I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. I'm excited. And, um, it was interesting because my agent felt like, you know, I had to go in and visit Milwaukee. They wanted to bring me in. And I'm thinking, they're not gonna take me, they're gonna take big dog, you know, like, you know, and and, um, and so reluctantly I went up to visit and nothing against the city of Milwaukee, but it just, you know, I, to our point earlier, everyone assumed that, you know, they'd take Glenn Robinson. So I went up to Milwaukee, Mike Dunleavy was the coach uh, and the gym and the general manager. And he put me through the hardest workout of my life and like was killing me. Like just, and I'm thinking like, like had me doing sprints and all these different drills. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm so fatigued and tired. And, and then at the end, he's like, okay, let's play one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm thinking, what is he like, what is he doing? Like, what is he trying to prove? Yeah. So, you know, he said, let's shoot for it. And I said, no, you got it. I'll let you get the ball first. And uh, and so I didn't realize, like, I had no idea he played in the NBA. I didn't know that, that he actually <laughs> played. So he we checked ball up and I'm staying way off, like I'm under the basket. And he's just like, you don't let me shoot? I'm like, I don't think you can make that. 
And, and sure enough, he knocked down like eight jump shots in a row. <laughs> that and, was like his whole thing as a player was the shooting. Yeah, and so you know he beat me. I was so tired. I, I I didn't even care. I just wanted to get out of there. Um, and so it just only reaffirmed uh, my desire to want to be in Detroit. But that that was it. I only went to two teams: Milwaukee and Detroit. Uh, and re- and also, I got invited to go down to Dallas, but I didn't go. And I just said, I, I want to make sure that they don't take me. So I'm just not going to go. Yeah. So I only visited uh, Detroit and Milwaukee. Since your your dad played for the Cowboys, was was he at all thinking like, man, what if you played for the Mavericks? That'd be kind of interesting. Would you? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, and not only that, he was working at that time for the Cowboys. So he had started working for the Cowboys. So he was down there a lot. Um, but no, I mean, I think. I think he was all in too. You know, he was all in on Detroit um, and, um, you know, the Motor City, um, you know, a team and franchise had won. I think he understood too the value of organizations who have had won before. And so understanding what it takes. And uh, and then, you know, he knew Allen and Allen Houston and those guys. So he, he was, you know, he was, he was drinking the Kool-Aid just like I was. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just a uh, just a thought though, because the whole and look what you said about Dallas already having two two uh, wingmen or uh, swingmen. The uh, yeah, that's what everyone was thinking at the time. But that, that to me, like in twenty twenty two, trying to look at it from that context, that that almost sounds antiquated because you're thinking, well, Dallas needs a point guard. Well, Grant Hill can play point guard. I that's what you did your whole senior. But everyone just looked at it. He's a six eight player. He's a forward. But like in in 2022, not not that Jason Kidd wasn't worth his second pick, he obviously was. Mm-hmm. But I I have to think that there would be a there would have been a, a real serious conversation of, okay, does does Dallas take uh, the point guard Jason Kidd or do they take Grant Hill and use him as a point guard? Because I don't know that that's something I'm thinking like today if if we were to redo that and that's kind of what we do here is, is you know go back and revisit past drafts. I have to imagine that there people would be looking at it totally differently today because you, you, you were a point guard yourself, essentially. Well, you, you make a great point. And, and certainly looking at things through the lens of, of present day. Yes. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it could have worked out. I mean, I could have, so I played point guard my senior year in high school. And then, you know, for three years, Bobby Hurley was the point guard and I was, I was essentially his backup point guard. Um, I, I didn't play a whole lot of point guard because he never got, he never came out of the game, but I was the backup point guard. And then my senior year, more out of necessity, I played yeah. point guard. But I don't know if I knew then the how the NBA execs and NBA scouts perceived me. I kind of thought they looked at me as just a small forward. And uh, and so that's why I was thinking. But yeah, I mean, I think I think eventually falling into that same similar role of either primary ball handler, point guard, point forward, whatever you want to call it, that role that I had with the Pistons, I, I certainly could have done that, no yeah. question, in Dallas. Yeah, because I, I mean, say say what you want about um, uh, Doug Collins, and we'll we'll get to him later, but. You you played with his. I remember because I I remember that '94 Duke team. Did you play with his son uh, Chris? And I I can guarantee you that Doug noticed that you could play point guard. <laughs> um, that that 
very very intelligent guy uh we, we will get to him in a minute um but uh as, as we get on to your your rookie year in in detroit and that team was still that that 94 the team that preceded you was still to this day the most joyless experience i ever had as a fan watching the pistons team it was just even though that was isaiah's like farewell tour it was just the the chemistry was bad it was it was the whole negative cloud over that team which is in retrospect, it's not that bad because, you know, we wound up getting the third pick. Uh, but they, they were still rebuilding, uh, even that your first year. Uh, the team was still kind of, I think, poorly put together. Uh, we still we had some characters on that team. I'm Oliver Miller, <laughs> namely. Uh, so, you know, it really didn't matter what you did that first season. The Pistons were going to miss the playoffs. It was just that that, that was kind of faded. Uh, but for – and this kind of blows my mind to this day, like before the, uh, the season started, like you were on everybody's radar, but it was like, like how every top three pick is on everybody's radar where it was, you know, we we like to see what Grant Hill is all about, but by mid season and you were leading the entire league in all-star votes. And it was your popularity from where you started as a rookie to even February had gone astronomically high to the point where people are putting you and Michael Jordan in the same breath. It was so uh, really season aside, did you ever uh, get the feeling like how, how did it get from point A to, to, to this? Like, was it, did you ever feel like it was like, this is way too much too fast, all the attention? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, um, it, it was, I guess a little bit uncomfortable, um, and, and and not that you know, I I, I don't want to phrase it or, or or create this narrative that I was like uncomfortable with you know being a celebrity or what have you. It just it just happened so quickly, and and you could be you know I remember when I arrived in Detroit, um, like maybe five days before training camp, and um, I was moving into the Holiday Inn on Updike. <laughs> That's where they put all free agencies, or free agents and uh and and rookies until we, you know, until we found a place. And um I remember like everybody thought I was Steve Smith. And I still remember, I still remember in the airport, like, you know, I, I'm walking the, the old airport, um the Wayne County Airport, and I'm walking to the to the baggage claim and like two or three different people walk up to me, you know, Smitty, or, you know, the yellow, go green. And 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 I'm like, you know, I, I have no idea. I mean, eventually I figure out that they think I'm Steve Smith. And the, th- the crazy thing is I still get that today because we work together, NBA TV. So when I'm in Atlanta, like people sometimes mistake me for Steve Smith. Even people in the studio will think I'm Smitty sometimes. So I, I think it's the shoulders, you know, we have similar shoulders. <laughs> Um, but anyway, and it's not a bad person. I mean, Steve, I think the world of Steve Smith. So, uh, certainly, a, certainly an honor and a privilege to be mistaken for him, but you go from like almost being anonymous, then like in the blink of an eye, like a couple months later, it, it, it's crazy. Like it just, yeah. it, it took off and, you know, there was a void in the league at the time, you know, Jordan had retired. Um, you know, they're always looking for like sort of that new fresh face, you know, who's going to emerge. Uh, I do think in a way having played at Duke may have helped in the sense that 
and, and I get it, Duke was a bit divisive. You either loved Duke or you hated Duke. There was maybe no in between. But I think those four years that I was there, um, there was high visibility. You know, we played in three championship games. We were on TV a lot. Um, so there was some momentum in terms of, rec you know, uh, being recognized from that standpoint. But for, for the life of me, I don't know. Like, I don't know how or why I got off to a good start. But I thought Big Dog got off to a good start. Um, you know, there were other great players in the league. But I was almost like thrusted into this role where I probably was, wasn't really ready for that kind of like responsibility. Um, and so it was a, it was a whirlwind, you know, it was crazy. And I'm being sort of looked upon as like a potential face of the league. And I'm trying to figure out like, just like how to like, I'm trying to figure out the league at, you know, and how it all works. And, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, okay, how do I play against this guy? And what is it like in the rookie wall and all these different things that are coming at you and you throw on that extra added pressure and expectation. Um, it, it was a lot. It, and we're losing, you know, we're not winning, you know, we're not, you know, things are, you know, there's a, there's an element of dysfunction, <laughs> you know, we're not doing things at the level um, you know, in terms of preparation, in terms of expectation and just all these things that, you you know, you did in college, you know, there was a reason, I guess, they won 20 games the year before I arrived. So uh, it was a lot to sort of process. And and and, and then you're by yourself, you know, you're in a new city and, and, and all these things are kind of coming at you. So not not to make it sound dark and twisted, but it was just I think that seemed a bit premature, almost silly in a way. Um, when, when I heard all that and felt all of those sort of comparisons and expectations. Uh, kind of um, in the same vein of this question, I, I know that um, you obviously got those comparisons to Michael Jordan and, and uh, you've kind of spoken about that in the past, but uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about this. Uh, Michael Jordan was shooting space jam and they built this uh, basketball stadium for him, essentially to practice this game and he invited a bunch of NBA players. Were you, were you there? And, and what was it like in that gym? Because it was just from, from our view, it's just a bunch of all-stars playing pickup games. And I just always, I wanted to be a fly on the wall in that, in that building. Yeah. So <laughs> that was, that was a, a, a great experience. Um, so I was in LA after my rookie year and I was out there, uh, rehearsing and preparing, you know, for my performance on, on Living Single, uh, where I was Queen Latifah's uh, love interest. It was a good show. So, so um, yeah, it was a good show. And, and, and I'll tell you a funny story with that. So I get in, it had to be like a, I get in on a Tuesday night, they have the reading on Wednesday morning. Um, I look at the script and I'm thinking, oh, like, they have me in all these scenes and I have to actually like, like I got to kiss Latifah and I'm like, I, I'm, I have to sing. Like I'm, I'm nervous. Like I, I, there's no way that I can get this done. Like I, I just, I could barely read at the reading, the table reading. I was so nervous. And so anyway, we, we, we would rehearse through the weekend and then tape on, uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday night, the following week. So I heard through the grapevine that, Jordan was out there filming. So I didn't get a formal invite, but um, somebody told me and said, hey, they start hooping at so-and-so time. So 
I went out there, went to the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, they created this bubble. Like there was this bubble and you walk in the bubble and there's the long, I think uh, Long Beach State Court is down on the ground, uh, fiberglass backboards, a weight room, and, and they built all this for Michael so he could work on his game in between filming for this movie, Space Jam. And so anyway, we get there, there's a bunch of guys, a bunch of players from UCLA, you know, they had just won uh, the national championship. So like Toby Bailey and Charles O'Bannon, uh, I think like Jawan Howard, maybe Reggie Miller, um, you know, there's, I, I can't remember exactly who was there, but there, it was, you know, good runs, good players. And I ended up being matched up on Michael Jordan and we're guarding each other. And when I tell you guys, I was giving him the absolute business. Everything I did, like it was just, it was like everything I shot went in. I was doing things, trying things that like I had never really done before. I was like even trying to use his moves on him. Like it was just one of those, it was one of those moments, I guess, you know, you call it where you're in the zone. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't a shooter. I mean, I, I my, at that point, you know, shooting wasn't my strong point. Um, I, I could handle the ball. I think that was a thing that really um, helped me come into the league and have success was that at 6'8", I could come at you cross up, bang, bang. You know, I could do that. And you didn't have a lot of guys that 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 played that way. And so I also realized I was like bigger than Mike. Like I could kind of like big boy him, you know? And 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 so to the point where like I, I dominated him so bad when I left the bubble to go back to the hotel, I was calling my boys. And I was like, yo, man, you know, you know I, I was killing Jordan. Like I was like, I was just, I was so on cloud nine from that experience. Of course, I went back the next day and he gave me the business. So uh, it all balanced out. But but no, I mean, it, it was that day. Yeah, but it was it was incredible. That was a great moment. And it was really, I mean, you know, as we all know, Jordan was larger than life. And here he is filming a movie and they build a court for him, a temporary court. Like, you know, it just shows you, you know, the magnitude of Michael Jordan in the summer of 95. Right. It's, it's kind of interesting. They, they built a full-size basketball court for a guy that was playing outfield for the Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They, like there, there wasn't any foreshadowing there. Um, so it was, we, we move on to your second season. And to, to me, this is always going to be my favorite of all the, of the, your six years in Detroit. This is a, my favorite always uh, not just because there wasn't teal yet, uh, but this this was the point where, at least to me, the one time in your six years uh, in Detroit where I, I felt as a fan that this this team could really be going places uh, because you had, you know, Doug came in uh, that summer as the, the coach GM czar role, which that's I don't know if that's ever really worked out in the long run, but it, it worked that first year. He he brought in Otis. He 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 brought in Theo Ratliff. Uh, he he brought in some. Uh, he he found a real nice uh, uh, player in Michael Curry that that you know out of nowhere that came in and carved out a real great career for himself in the league. Uh, built built a real nice team. You guys struggled uh, big time. I think the first month or so, and I, I to me at least it changed around that game where you played uh, Houston in the, in the Palace where uh, Terry Mills hit that three pointer over over Akeem to win the game at the buzzer. 
And I think from mm. that point on, uh, you guys played really, really great basketball. Uh, but the, what I want to talk about is the the thing that stuck out the most to me from that season was the chemistry that you had with Allen Houston. Mm. And Allen really wasn't like he had struggled. He, he had, we had drafted him the year before you, and he had really struggled his rookie year. And then into his second year, and then at the end of his second year, he started to really uh, he started to really develop. Uh, and I think he started again slowly that year too. But as the season went on, both you and him were like trading twenty and thirty point games back and forth. It was that 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 was to me at least as, as a fan watching. I'm like, okay, we 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 really might have something if we had another piece here. But that. If, if you could just speak to that season and, and how Allen was as a teammate. Yeah, no, great, great question and great observation. We, um, so Allen and I, we went back further than our Piston days. Um, we were roommates together uh, twice, um, roommates in high school at the Nike All-American camp. So he was a rising senior, I was a rising junior. So we got to know each other then. Um, and, um, and and it's funny, I found out then. So my dad used to take me to Final Fours. We went from 84 to 88 um, when Danny Manning won. And that was sort of our, you know, father-son trip. My dad retired from football and, you know, he, he was like, you know, let's do something. Go on a camping trip, honey, whatever you want to do. And I said, I want to go to Final Four. So... Uh, and thankfully, he was able to do that. So I remember in 86, when Louisville won, at the practices, there was this kid on the court who was shooting shots while Louisville was, like, in between their practice session. And it ended up being Allen. And so, like, I remember – so that was my first time seeing Allen. He didn't see me. But anyway, that was 86. 88, we were roommates. Uh, 92 – when we were with the select team that scrimmaged and actually beat the dream team, we were roommates uh, in La Jolla and Allen caught fire. I mean, absolute fire in that scrimmage. Um, so we kind of knew each other and we just clicked. Oh, we also were teammates on the, um, the U.S. junior, U.S. under 19. We went to we went down to Uruguay. I can't remember what tournament it was, but we um, we won the Americas. I guess the all the the countries U nineteen, me, him, Ed O'Bannon, Calvert Cheney, uh, and we were roommates there. So Alan and I, you know, we already and this was at an era where you didn't like you weren't as connected maybe as players are today. Um, so we just got along. We were friends. I was probably closest with Alan on that team, um, and so. You know, he, he struggled a little bit early. I think we all kind of struggled. Doug, and I, and I mentioned there was some some dysfunction. You know, there was some things that needed to be cleaned up. And, and Doug came in, and sometimes when you when you make a drastic change, it shocks you. It shocks your system, and and, and that's what it did. And it it took us a minute to kind of find our stride and find, um, you know, and, and realize that we could be good and be competitive. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you you could see it happening. And, and Doug, as a GM, and, and Rick's son, I thought, did a really good job. You had some young pieces. You had, you know, Allen, myself, Lindsey Hunter. You just drafted Theo Ratliff. You had Don Reed. You had some pieces that, okay, you know, you can you can build around for the future. And then you complement that with some, some really solid veterans. Otis Thorpe, 
um, was huge. You know, Mark West had, had been there already. Obviously, uh, Joe Dumars. Uh, so Terry Mills. So you know, a good mix of young and old, I guess, to really kind of go about it. And, and I thought for us, that was a huge step in terms of moving forward that season. But as the year wore on, Allen really emerged and really got confident. And, um, and, and I thought we complimented each other well. You know, I was more, you know, slasher, facilitator, uh, get to the paint. Allen, you know, obviously, you know, beautiful jump shot. Um, we just, you know, it, it was seamless, you know, and, and, and there was no, which is sometimes unusual, it can be unusual with young players. There was no like jealousy. Like there was no trying to like, you know, outdo one another. It was just, let's just go win. And I was genuinely excited if he went for 35 against whomever. And, and I feel like it was vice versa as well. So, um, we didn't end the season uh, like we would have liked. You know, we lost in the first – and we were – you know, we lost to a team that was dominant. I mean, we weren't – but it felt like, okay, we got a taste of, like, what it what it's like, and we have something really solid foundationally to build upon, you know, going forward. So um, – and, and even in the summers, you know, I was preparing for, you know, for the Olympics – um, but I remember going down to Louisville, uh, hanging out with Allen, um, and, um, you know, just assuming that, okay, we're moving forward, you know, we're gonna, you know, we had some, I think we even had some, you might know better than me, but we had some financial flexibility. So yeah. there might be a thought of bringing someone else in. So just a, a real feeling of optimism, if you will, uh, as we completed that year. Yeah. And that's to, to me that the, the, Summer of 96 always sticks out to me uh, as, as someone that's followed the team as just an absolute catastrophe. Uh, just for, for people that weren't around back then, uh, Grant is absolutely right. Uh, we had the, the, the Pistons uh, had Grant. They had Allen, who everyone assumed was coming back. Those, those are two star type players. And we had they had enough cap space to go for a third. And at that point, you're thinking like there was there was some rumors that they were pursuing Juwan Howard who was a pretty big young star at the time. And there was, there was, I think, stronger interest in Dikembe Mutombo, which just made everyone's eyes, you know, pop because that's the one team that thing that, that 96 Pistons team needed uh, was a rim protector and Mutombo was the best in the business. So yeah, there was so much optimism and man, if we can just get, you know, one of these uh, one, one extra star to come in. And to me, I think, just, just my opinion. I, I, I think Pistons management kind of dropped the ball because I think they kind of, I don't look. I wasn't in the room for for negotiations, but I think kind of think they might have taken Allen a little bit for granted. Uh, but what are, what are your thoughts on uh, you know Allen's departure and how that kind of uh, played out? Yeah, I mean you're spot on. I, I think we did drop the ball. No pun intended. Um. um I wasn't in the room either. I mean, I was with the men's national team, the dream team. Um, and I actually found out that Alan left from Reggie Miller. You know, Reggie was upset because Reggie was using New York as leverage to get more money from Indiana. And so, um, so that's how I found out. But, you know, leading up to that, before I left, you know, we were all 
sort of working out. I was working, we were working out with Arnie Kander uh, at the facility. And, um, and you know, I, I remember going to lunch or, I don't know, somewhere with Alan one day. And I told him, I said, look, man, don't, you know, at that time, I guess I was the highest paid player. And I was still on my rookie contract. And, you know, I signed a 40 something, 45, maybe seven year deal coming out as a third pick. And obviously things had changed with the draft and the slotting with rookie contracts. But I said, look, don't let them, don't let them, you know, tell you that, you know, you got to make less than me. Like that was two years ago when I signed my contract, like now. And I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think our scoring numbers were identical. Like, I think he might've even been more like, he might've been, I think we were like 20.1 or, Anyway, very close to one another, but I was like, like, dude, like you, you should make more money than me. Like, and, and, and so don't let them tell you otherwise. And so I just assumed that it was going to get done. Um, but I, I, I didn't know what he would make. You know, I just, I, I didn't know what that would be. So after the Olympics, when I got back to town, you know, it was sort of, I was told by a few people within the organization that he left and he didn't want to play with me and, you know, my shadow and, you know, loomed large and he couldn't blossom and, and, and all of that. And, and so, you know, I, of course, you know, young, I got an ego, I'm pissed. Um, and, and so I held that and, um, and probably, should have reached out to Alan, considering our past, our history, our friendship. And, and I get through it, I go through it a little bit in my book, but um, later on, I, I get a chance to talk to him the following season and, and kind of just one, apologize, but then two, you know, just kind of find out what happened through his perspective. And it, it had nothing to do with me, it came down to dollars and cents. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the Pistons, um, and like I said, I wasn't in the room, so I can't say this with absolute certainty, but I think they kind of lowballed him and told him to go out and explore the market, see what you can get, and we'll match it. And I think New York came with a, you know, more money um, and almost had a gun to his head, like, you need to decide now. Yeah. And I think maybe, and I don't want to speak for Alan, but I think he may have felt felt he might have he might have felt a little insulted by the offer from Detroit you tell us that you know I'm a foundational piece there's a picture sort of floating around of the two of us at the unveiling of the new uh teal jerseys which I know you love Keith yeah and um uh, and, and so here we were like the two cornerstones but then you're going to tell them go out and, and and see what you can get elsewhere so you know, it was a comedy of errors, I think. And I don't think he wanted to leave. Um, but, you know, I think with the public and the fans and, and clearly as a teammate, <laughs> you know, we easily can believe that he didn't want to be there. And uh, and so that that was unfortunate. And, um, and and really, you know, for the six years, and, and, and this can be debated, but that really could have been a, a moment that set us back. Yeah, it was. You, you have a player who, who's all-star potential uh, that, that fit with another all-star, and you never really got anything in replacement for that. And um, 
So anyway, that that could be debated, um, but I, I feel like that we never fully recovered looking back from you know losing Allen. Yeah. So um, I, I I have one more follow up on. Yeah, Allen, go ahead. If yep. you don't mind, Mike, just one, one quick one. It can be brief, but I did you ever get the feeling as a player when Allen would come back that coming back and playing uh, you guys affected him emotionally because it wasn't just that first game back. I think his numbers were terrible uh, basically every, every year against you guys uh, until you left. Like I always felt like he just, for whatever reason, he was just not into those games. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I remember the first game he came back and, um, and it was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had gotten off to a good start. We were able to sort of that year, you know, okay, we lose Allen. Um, you know, we were able to, I think, look, you talked about the summer of 96 and if we had added a free agent, you know, what could have been, but if we added no one and just kept that team together, like we would have been better. We would have taken a step forward. And so Allen left, um, we were taking a step forward. Lindsay kind of started to get comfortable in his role. You know, I was playing more confidently having played with the Olympic team. Theo had another year under his belt. Um, you know, we, we had a, we had a year of Doug. And so we now kind of like, we, we, we took on that, a certain identity. So we were off to the races that year. We played at home and it was a TNT game and we were like alpha blood. Like we were just like, we took that game personal. And it was like, we went at Allen. Actually, that game was funny. I didn't have a good shooting game. I ended up with a triple-double. Lindsey went off that game. But I had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a, a great, uh, uh, sounds arrogant, but I had a really pretty strong dunk on John Wallace uh, yeah. in the game. And I hurt my hand. <laughs> I, I hurt my hand. And so I didn't take any more shots. Like, literally, my hand was killing me. If you go back, and I know you have all the clips, yeah. but I have the dunk. And then I think we, they may have called a, um, they may have called a timeout after that play, and we're going to the bench, and I'm giving everybody high fives with my left hand because my hand is killing me, my right hand is killing me. But anyway, you know, we did a tasteless thing. They left Allen's numbers on the board and all of that, and so um, I forgot the question, but um, <laughs> but well, it, it, the question was more: Do, do you think Allen? Oh yeah, you, you coming back and playing the Pistons affected Allen emotionally, like from that point on, not just that one game, because his numbers were always poor when he ever returned to the Palace. Yeah, you know, I think Allen struggled that first year in New York just because it was a different system, and I, yeah, in that game, I mean, I think it was probably weird for him to come back and just, you know, these are these are my guys, these are my teammates. I mean, me, Allen, and Lindsey, like. We we had we had lunch every day after shoot around before games, you know, whether at home or on the road. And now we're coming at him like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like he's the enemy, you know. And so I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I mean, okay. I don't I don't know what the reason was, but um I do know that he didn't want to leave. And um and uh oh, you found it. There you go. I, I did, yeah. Uh okay. <laughs> let's take a look at it real quick. Yeah, less no. than nine and a half to go in the second quarter. Grant Hill, good step to the hoop. Oh, and that happened in an instant. Oh, if you blink, you miss that stuff. Look out. 
You don't seem to be wincing or anything. Well, if you keep, if you keep going, I don't know if, if they call a timeout or not. On the other side. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a timeout. So what? It's right here. You're going to the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> as many times as I've watched this game, I never noticed that detail. Oh, my hand is bleeding right there. Oh. Well, yeah, it looked like you tried to rip the rim down with that. Yeah, that's the uh, Fort Wayne jerseys too, by the way. Yeah. Sweet, they were sweet. But no, you know, I, maybe maybe it affected him. I, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he, um, I, I didn't feel like he found his because that that team was about going inside the pack, and and so Allen now, you know, Allen was a dynamic score, um, and and I think you know, playing with the Knicks that first year, he's you know he's hovering around the three point line waiting to kick out. You know, he's not getting involved, not getting his rhythm like he did with us. At least that's the way I looked at it back then. So you uh, sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier with the teal. Um, and, and this is kind of a two-part question, but what what are your, you know, and you can be honest, what are your honest thoughts about the teal? Because I loved it as a kid, and I still I love that they brought it back this year, I, but I know my parents hated it. All my <laughs> uncles hated it. Uh, what, were, what were you thinking then as a member of the, as the, of the team? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if we, at the time, um, were huge, huge fans of it. And, um, I mean, you had something that was classic, red, white, and blue. And, and so the idea of changing the logo or, recon, you know, somehow do like, okay, that you're open, open to that idea, but, but teal, it just didn't, it didn't seem to sort of reflect like what Detroit was. And so, um, and then, you know, me selfishly, like Fila, like our colors were red, white, and blue. So like, to me, I'm thinking, okay, how, like, how are you going to have a pair of shoes that, that go with teal? Like it just didn't, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I was a kid, so I was young, but um, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of it. Um, I'll confess that now I'm more in the middle and maybe in a way because it represents a time. I mean, I think when people see teal, good, bad, or indifferent, I think they think of me. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it it represents a transitional period for the franchise. And um, despite what people say, maybe we'll get into it later, but, you know, it wasn't all bad in teal. Um, and um, there were some, some, some good moments. There were some moments of hope and optimism. And then there were some moments where there wasn't, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, at the time I didn't get it at all. I just felt like it's not, it's not, it's not Detroit, you know, at all. Yeah. 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 I, I can understand that. And, and Fila, I know did make a, uh, a shoe, uh, one of your shoes with the new teal colors and that thing's flying off the, the open, you know, like the, the stock X markets right now. Like everybody wants that shoe. Um, I want that shoe. <laughs> well, I mean, right now, also, too, I mean, the nostalgia, uh, yeah. one thing I've learned is that anything 90s, and in particular, anything with a story, and so shoes or, or gear or things from the past that there's a story that, that goes with it, I think that really resonates with young consumers today. But anyway, I'm not an expert on that. So That's fine. That's fine. Uh, so you did mention the, that, that things weren't all as bad in, in Teal. 
And the 97 season is, is really, you know, proof of that. You guys won 54 games. It was, it was a pretty good year. Um, I, I'm interested on kind of your, your thoughts on that year and, um, and, and Doug Collins as well, as well, and just kind of where that season went and, and, you know, and how it ended. Yeah. I mean, we got off to a great start that year. And um, I still remember we, I think we were, we played the bulls at home and um, you know, maybe five, six games in and, you know, I'm not sure if we were undefeated and they were undefeated, but uh, they brought in Michael Buffer to do the the pregame announcements. And it was like the world, the, the, the champs first, the contenders. And anyway, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a hot start. Um, and really, I think a, a really pretty solid first half of the season to the point where Doug Collins was the all-star game coach. Um, you can't, as a coach, you can't do it, you know, consecutive years. So Phil Jackson was the coach in 96. Um, and I think Chicago still had the best record in 97, but I think we had like the second best record in the NBA um, at the all-star break, or, or at least around the time that they um, decide who coaches the all-star team. And, and so things were running pretty smooth. You know, we had good chemistry, we had continuity, um, you know, we, you know, we, we, Otis and I with the screen and roll, Terry, um, we had a good solid bench. Um, you know, we, we, we were playing good. We were playing. I mean, I played well. I thought, I thought I was, imp I improved. And I think some of that had to do with the Olympic experience, you know, going against Scotty every day. Um, and so then we kind of imploded, <laughs> you know, things then kind of, um, and Keith probably knows the exact time or, or, or at least um, how we, we, we kind of limped into the playoffs, but we weren't at our best at the end of the season. And, um, you know, there was some feuding going on. I think Doug and Otis weren't seeing eye to eye. And, you know, I think it, at first it was kind of cute. It was funny. I think everybody kind of laughed, but I think that, um, you know, I'm not blaming our, our 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 slide on that, but I think that certainly played a role. I don't know exactly what happened, but um, you know, I do think I remember there was a game uh, we played the Bulls at home, and um, the NBC game. It was an NBC game, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember, like I said, I don't remember everything leading up to that moment, um, but I remember. I felt compelled to come out and endorse Doug the day before the game. And so the practice before, I'm not sure if it was Chris Mikowski or Perry Farrell from the you know Detroit Free Press, but one of our beat writers, I think I came out and and said really nice things about Doug and 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 really endorsed him. And you know, I don't know if that was prompted or not. I can't remember, but I felt like it was just things were like about to go off the cliff. And if I said something and, and hopefully that would be repeated in a nationally televised game, that it would at least help save us and, 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 um, and stabilize things as we're, you know, about to go into the postseason, if you will. And um, <laughs> I remember the next day I came in for the game and like a bunch of the guys were mad at me 
for coming out and endorsing him because it was in the paper that morning that, you know, I said all these nice things about Doug. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not blaming Doug. I'm not saying it was Doug's fault, but there was just, there wasn't that cohesive sort of, you know, all together. There was some friction, some tension, and some of it was directed towards him. Uh, and shoot, some of it might've been directed towards me at that point. Um, but we weren't at our best. We were at our best earlier in the year. And, and at that point, there was just, there was a lot of bad energy, I think, on that team going into the, into the postseason. Yeah, I think it was, it, it's kind of crazy. There, there are a handful of teams I can think of in, in NBA history that are kind of a case study in, in how much chemistry matters, uh, even at, at the highest level. And I think that 97 team, because everyone losing Allen, everyone thought you guys were going to take a big step back. And, you know, tw- around Christmas time, you guys were, what, 20 and four. So it was, yeah, it, it was hard to believe. So it was. Yeah. And then, but the last, I want to say, month of the season, you guys were, any, were, were playing sub 500 ball. It was, it was just, uh, just a, such a comparison of highs and lows with really no one getting hurt, uh, no, tr- no major trades. It was the same team from start to finish. But, you know, if you looked at them on the, it was just a completely different team from this way it started to the way it ended. Um, yeah, it's true. And it, it, that team was the closest team in terms of chemistry, in terms of all like that I that I may have ever played on. Um, and so just the bonds, like the hanging out with each other, the getting along, like all of that, and it and it transferred onto the court, as you were saying. But with all of that said and done, it didn't help us as we, you know, limped into the to the playoffs. We we were. And, 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 you know, and I hate saying this because I, I do love the guy and I think he was in tr- incredible for us. But I think a lot of it was directed towards Doug, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And so there was that tension there that and we see it. We see it happen in sports where all of a sudden, for whatever reason, teams, you know, don't want to play for a guy or they've you know begun to tune that coach out or what have you. It happens in sport and it was probably happening at that time. So next year, the, you know, the Pistons, they go out and get you some help. Um, they bring in Jerry Stackhouse in, in, in a trade. And, uh, yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, were on, on Jerry coming and were you, were you energized by that? I mean, I know the, the season didn't go that well and you guys, you know, you missed the playoffs. It was, it was, it was not a great season, but you did make playoffs the next year in a lockout shortened year. But, but were you excited about having Jerry there with you? Well, Jerry came in a trade. So I think, yes, I was excited about Jerry, but it's complicated. So you had this team that was very close. And then all of a sudden that summer, you know, Mike Curry's gone. Terry Mills is gone. Otis Thorpe's gone. Um, You know, you know, Allen was gone, obviously, from the year before. Um, We bring in Brian Williams, who later changed his name to Bison Dele. Um, and so there was a feeling like, okay, this kid can play exciting. Um, you know, we get a big guy now who can actually post up, um, and, you know, right. And then Joe got hurt the first game of the season and Joe had been an all-star the year before. So it just, you know, whatever was snowballing, I guess, at the end of the year before, it just seemed like it continued into the following year. And, and so the chemistry was off. We were playing a different style of basketball. You think about it. We were, Doug was kind of 
ahead of his time the year before, pick and roll with me and Otis. Yeah. You know, you have shooters, Lindsey, Joe, Terry. We spread the floor. There's space. I'm a slasher. And, and now you, you put a big guy in there. It just, it, it didn't click right away. And, and we didn't have the same shooting now. You know, Joe went down, um, you know, Terry was gone. Like it was just a, a different dynamic. And then we trade Theo, who was another piece and another chemistry piece and a guy. And so when Jerry came in, he came into a situation, I think for him, he was excited, I think, to leave uh, um, uh, Philly and wanted, uh, I don't want to speak for Jerry, but I think he was excited at the opportunity. But he came into a, just a, it was a little bit toxic when he came in and it wasn't quite um, the, the best ideal scenario. Um, but right away, he gave us a lift and there was another guy out there who who could score and we needed scoring and we and we needed his ability on the offensive end but now you have jerry myself two slashers with a big guy inside it was very very different than than sort of what we had had the previous years and so um you know doug ended up getting fired that was tough alvin you know replaced him uh, it was just a disjointed year like it was it was and it was a tough year because we had every year there was some progress and there was momentum like you felt like we're getting better we're taking a step in the right direction okay didn't quite pan out the way we wanted at the end of the 97 season losing to Atlanta um but every year and then all of a sudden it was like we took a couple steps back and that was not because of Jerry um you know, Jerry, if anything, you know, helped to try to stabilize us a little bit and give us a piece. But, you know, it was tough. I mean, you know, Jerry was a two guard and, and you still had Joe there who was a two guard and you had Lindsay. And so Jerry, we didn't get a chance to see Jerry and 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 all that he could bring until Joe retired and later on the 99, 2000 season. Um, so it, it was, it was a tough situation for Jerry to come into and just a tough season across the board, uh, especially coming off of the last three years. Uh, just, just to go back real quick. Uh, I, I have to ask this. So Rick Mahorn shows up, uh, in your, <laughs> at 38 years old. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, that's how old I'm about to be, but, uh, <laughs> there's got to be a funny story there, right? There's got to be some sort of great, funny Rick Mahorn story that maybe you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Now Rick, 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 Rick is constant fun, man. And, and Rick, Rick came in, I think Rick came in in 96, 97. So he was part of that core from the year before. But um, so you got to understand Rick started off, as you know, with the Washington bullets. And I remember Rick, when he was with the bullets, went to my high school camp to speak when I was maybe like in grade school. And, and, and then all of a sudden, like we're teammates. And so like, I used to, you know, I used to, you know, we used to tease each other. Like Rick, Rick talked a lot of trash and I would talk trash to Rick, you know? So one story, and I may have told you this before Keith, but um, you know, during that time, you know, I, I, I'm doing a lot for our team, you know, I'm scoring, yeah. I'm rebounding assists leading the team in minutes. I even think flirted with the top five, top two or three 
uh, a few of those years and minutes played throughout the entire league. And, you know, we're in a world now where it's, it's rest management and, and people are very careful and cautious about, you know, not just what you do yeah. in practice, if you practice at all, but even playing in back-to-backs and things of that nature. That was not the environment back in the day. And so I'm playing all these minutes, got all this responsibility. One day I come in and I, I might've got kicked in the quad or something. I had a little um, soreness. So I sat out of practice. And Rick would say, oh, man, soft-ass Dookie. You know, like, oh, you know, effing soft-ass Dookie can't practice. And I would always go back at him and say, you know, I'd say, man, you didn't even go to college. You went to an institute, you know. And and uh, and so, you know, it was just – but that that was my guy. Like, Rick Rick was Rick was my guy, um, my big brother, you know, on the road, food, dinner. Like I would, you know, get stories with him, hear about the bad boy days back in the day. Um, man, I absolutely loved playing with Rick, but we talked more trash to one another. Um, and that was just an example of some of the back and forth between us. That's great. <laughs> actually, one year, actually, one year, it's funny. One year, maybe like 98, 99, it was maybe right around that time when coming off that bad, like I said, okay, I want to get better in the post. Like I want to start posting up and, and improve my post-up game. So I ended up getting um, Pete Scorage, who um, was at one point, I guess, the video coordinator and moved on to the Palace Network, uh, became a producer. But I had him put together a tape of like all like like all these guys like Worthy, Mikhail, uh, Adrian Dantley, all guys from back in the day um, who, who would post up. And I was a you know, one. And I remember that summer, I spent a lot of time like going against Rick. And you may say, well, Rick wasn't a post-up guy. Well, Rick was a great post defender. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, and so he had seen it all. And so he really helped me improve my post game by like just showing me things or like even guarding me. And, uh, and so I got more and more comfortable posting up, you know, particularly my last year, I was really, pretty efficient down there on the low block, but um, Rick was somebody that helped me in that regard. I, I tell people that, yeah, Rick helped me with my post game. Like, man, Rick didn't post up. And I was like, no, he helped because he guarded so many great defensive players or so many great post players. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. No, you're, you're all right. Uh, that's what we got you here for. Um, all right, so I, and this is not gonna be anybody's favorite conversation, but we do have to talk about your, your final season, which wasn't, again, like you said, it wasn't all bad. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things I find fascinating is that 97 team you played with on with Doug. It was one of the slowest paced teams in, in NBA history to this day since the shot clock. I think you guys only averaged 84. You were averaging like 21, what, 21, 9, and 7 with a, a team that was averaging only 84 possessions a game. That was crazy, like the, the efficiency there. But to contrast that to that last season, that 2000 season, all of a sudden you guys are trying to run teams off the floor with you and – you and Jerry, now that uh, Joe has gone, he's, he's retired. So it's essentially, the team is essentially you and Jerry Sackhouse. No disrespect to, I know Lindsay is, was still there. You guys brought Terry back. Uh, but it, it was essentially you and Jerry Sackhouse trying to, you know, out outproduce entire teams, which was actually working. I don't want to say great, but it was working pretty well up until, you know, disaster struck with, with your injuries. But if you could talk about that uh, and also... Because I around that time you had uh, started working with Chip England, who everybody now knows is the 
the famous shooting coaches was with the Spurs for decades, uh, did, did wonders with so many of their players that I think it's kind of interesting. They, every time the Spurs draft someone, the, the knock is always that they can't shoot. And within a couple of years, Oh, they can shoot now. Uh, but uh, if you could just comment on that and it just uh, personally uh, for yourself, uh, being a player that's not known as a shooter coming into the league, trying to develop confidence in, in a three point shot. Uh, Cause I know that was a, big development for you that last season you hit more threes that last year than you hit your previous five combined um because i know uh piston fans at home we have a couple of guys uh, most notably isaiah stewart that's going through that same process uh being a non-shooter coming out of college and trying to develop as a long-range shooter um if you could share your experiences with that please yeah you know <clears throat> um so after that 98 season um, you know, you, you take a step back. I, I, I took a lot of that like to heart, like, okay, I got to get better. And, um, and so um, as coincidence would have it, I, I met Chip who went to Duke himself and um, had played with Johnny Dawkins, um, um, was, was, a, was a senior when Johnny Dawkins was a freshman at Duke. And so we connected, we hit it off, we started working together. I started to see some results um that lockout year 98 99 but um the numbers didn't necessarily reflect that but the confidence all of that was coming around and so i think like having that that one year under our belt going into my final year um or you know ended up being my final year with the pistons we were able to expand upon that and um and so really now having extra weapons you know, in, in your arsenal and, and even working on the three point shot, you know, it's a different game now, as we all know, but one of the guys that I looked at was, was obviously Jordan. And, and Jordan was a guy who, um, who really dominated and he was retired at this point, but he dominated, we used to call it areas of domination. And, and his area was like, you know, 10 to 15 feet, whether back to the basket, off the bounce, pull up, hit the occasional three-pointer, but that's where he would dominate. And so for me, you know, getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line, I'm working on my post-up game over either shoulder, footwork, uh, transition, mid-range, and the occasional three-pointer here or there. Like now you have, you know, instead of just a fastball, like now you have, you know, a change up and a curve and a screwball, you know, you have all these things now. And, um, and, and, and so Chip was very, very helpful and not just in terms of your mechanics, but then also, um, you know, I think, like, like I said, you're, you're a fastball picture pitcher, and then you learn a curve and all these other things. And because you spend so much time on your curveball, you forget about your fastball. And like, look, what makes me dangerous is my ability to still attack. And so yeah. learning how to like mix and manage all that and incorporate that into my game. And it happened to just coincide with the changes that occurred. And Alvin saying, look, we can't play methodical basketball. We got two thoroughbreds out here. Throw in Don Reed, throw in Jerome Williams. Um, you know, Lindsey's a great, like we got to get up and down the court. Um, and so we went from sort of a grinded out blue collar, desperate, you know, like just suffocate you on defense and, you know, 
execute offensively to now we're flying up and down the court, uh, which was okay with us. And, 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 you know, certainly I think played in a lot, in a lot of ways played to our strengths. Um, you know, Alvin told, like he said, look, I need you guys to score 50 plus a game. I need 60 from you guys for us to have a chance to win. And so I think Jerry was naturally a scorer. Like, I think that was who he was. That was his game. That was his DNA. Um, I think one of the things that I had to sort of start, like, I, I think I like to facilitate. I like to pass and um, kind of had to learn that sometimes the right play is me taking a bad shot. And, and so that was a little bit of a departure depending upon time and score and situation. So I, I you know, this may sound weird, but I got a little bit more selfish in that sense. And, um, and, and, and it wasn't about chasing numbers. It was, it was really like what we need to do to, to be successful to win. Um, and if you go back and you, you like I said, you you have all the numbers, so you would know, not me, but if you take out the games that I was hurt and I didn't play, and yeah. you look at our number, our, our record, we actually were decent. We yeah. actually, I'm not saying we were, you know, contenders, but I think I missed like maybe four or five, six games in like late January, early February. I hurt my back and uh, we lost all of them. And, and that's no slight on that. Like if Jerry was out, we probably would have, like, yeah. the margin of error was so slim. Uh, we needed all our weapons, but you know, we, we had some good wins and we played well and we competed. Um, we didn't have much of a defensive presence, um, but you know, we, we, we got up and down and we scored. And I think we got to see Jerry and what he could be. Yeah. And you forget the year before Jerry came off the bench and, you know, Joe, you know, you, you, you could try to play, you know, I, I think, Look, I think the challenge was you had to start Joe Dumas. Yeah. And it was just sacrilegious to not play Joe. I mean, Joe was a legend. Joe was a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer. Uh, I think everyone knew Joe was going into the front office. So if you're the coach, it's smart to play Joe. Um, but I think that hurt Jerry. Uh, Joe couldn't guard the points. Joe, Joe didn't want to do all that. So Lindsey was going to play point guard. So I think the person who really sacrificed that lockout year and maybe even a little bit of this first year with us in 97, 98 was Jared. And, and then all of a sudden he got a chance, like he got a chance to unleash Jerry. And it was like, wow, like, you know, we're, we're both like going at it and, and, and playing and playing well off each other and complement each other and finding each other and, and relying on one another. And so um, I knew I was a free agent that upcoming year and, um, but I didn't focus on that. Um, I, I was focusing on our team and, and I was, I felt like, okay, this is like me and Alan again, you know, in a different way, but similar, like I got, I got a piece now we got a piece here we have potentially what could be a promising future. We're not good enough now, you know, we're not good enough, but you got a piece here to build upon. And, and, and you know, along with me and, you know, me and Jerry. So that that was sort of, I think that season, what was going through my mind, uh, obviously until, you know, the injury occurred. Yeah, I, I really would have liked to 
see what would have happened if you guys would have been healthy against Miami. I know Miami was obviously a better team, but you guys matched up with them so well during that season. Uh, we, beat them. I, we, beat them. we beat them a few. We beat them. Like, I think opening night we beat them. Jerry hit a shot opening yeah. night. Um, I think he had a shot to send it to overtime, and we beat him in overtime. Um, so we weren't scared. Of we actually felt like it was a good matchup for us in, in a crazy way. But regardless, if I had been healthy, we might have been a little bit better. We might have had a better seed. Who knows? But, um, yes, I mean, it would have. It, it, was, it was a fun season that season in spite of our team not, not being, you know, a top-tier team in the East. So, uh, well, unfortunately, you know, it, it would all have to come to an end. Um, so you did, you, you, you made the decision that, uh, that you wanted to, to move to, you know, take your career somewhere else. Um, I, so I'm curious kind of, um, you, your thought process as to why, you know, you wanted to move on and, and why Orlando was kind of the team that you, you wanted to go to. I mean, I know there at the time, there was some thought process that uh, Tim Duncan was going to go there, and that uh, Tracy McGrady was already there. Was was that really what um, what, what kind of drew you to, to Orlando, or was there any other team that you might have been interested in going to? Yeah. So yes. Um, well, yes. Let me answer the question here first. So I didn't start thinking about leaving Detroit. Um, until like my injury happened. And, and when I mean in the injury was, it was happening towards the end of the year and, and we could just do a podcast on the injury itself. But, um, but I think as the season was over and I'm recovering from surgery, I'm like stewing, like I'm mad. And I just felt like it was mismanaged. And, and that was, you know, that was what I was feeling in that moment. And in that moment, I'm like, what? Like that opened my eyes. And that was like, at that moment, like I'm out of here up until then. Like I'm still, I wanted to do what, what Joe did. I wanted to do what Isaiah did. I wanted to do what others, Magic Johnson and Larry, I wanted to be in one place, start my career, finish my career. Um, the summer of 99, you know, I, we got married, my wife and I, and she's from Windsor. Even during that season, we were looking at houses. Like we were going around and looking at houses and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, because the house we were in, I had bought before I met her. And so, you know, she was kind of uncomfortable with that being our home. So like my intentions were to be in Detroit. Um, I, you know, I looked at people like Dave Bing and, and Vinnie Johnson had established his business. Um, you know, Lambeer had his, he had a, a packaging company before he got into coaching. Like I was thinking, okay, something maybe even after basketball in the automotive industry, like, you know, my wife always says, you know, you make plans and God laughs. Um, and, but I had mapped it all out. Like I was going to be in Detroit for my entire career. And I think, you know, the, the, the emotion of being hurt, and feeling not that I got hurt, but just how it all Trent went down, and I was kind of led to believe that I, I was okay. At least that's how I interpreted it. Like it just it got me so upset, so emotional, that I started to entertain this idea 
of, of maybe going someplace else. And so as um as we started you know getting closer to to um you know to the summer and July 1st, you know, I'm on crutches, <laughs> as everyone knew. I went down to Orlando. I think people assumed that Tim and I had sort of orchestrated this. Uh, we had the same agent, but Tim and I, and we also filmed a Sprite commercial together, which was pretty funny once during the lockout. But Tim and I weren't close, like we weren't. And once again, it was a different era. Like you're not necessarily close with people you didn't play with. So I didn't, you know, as much as I was compared to Steve Smith, I never talked to Steve Smith. I didn't know Steve Smith. I didn't get to know Steve Smith until we started working together in television, you know, years later. So it was a different era in that sense. But we went down, we had a good visit. Um, um, it was really funny. So anyway, Tim seemed like he was in. There was an infamous dinner where, you know, Tim's then girlfriend asked about girl girlfriends and wives traveling on the plane to Doc. And Doc said no. And I remember my wife was like, I don't think Tim's going. I was like, why? Because did you see Amy's reaction? Like she was, so anyway, all right, fine. So we we fly back and this is what's funny. I'm on the plane and across the aisle from me was, was uh, what's the writer? Wojo, Wojo, Wojo. Um... Uh, Bob and Alski, are you thinking of? Yeah, yeah Bob and Wojo, used to have the uh, radio yeah. show. Stone, the Stony and Wojo you were thinking of. Yeah, well, he's yeah Bob and and I'm thinking, oh, like, yeah, dude, like you really, like you, you just happened to be in Orlando flying back on the same flight. But anyway, I still had other visits set up. So I was supposed to go to New York. I was supposed to go to Chicago. Um, you know, San Antonio didn't really have cap space. But what ended up happening was it was such, it was so, it was just too much on crutches. It was too much navigating, going around, you know, going through airports. We weren't, you know, we weren't chartering then um, and, and all of that. So we ended up having all of these teams come to meet me. And so I also threw Pat Riley in there in Miami. And, um, and so I think New Jersey came as well. I had New Jersey come as well. So I had New Jersey, New York, uh, San Antonio, Chicago, and Miami. And um and so it was a little bit tough for those franchises because you didn't get a chance to show off their facilities and kind of wine and dine you. And so Orlando probably had the unfair advantage because, um, you know, because they, they hosted me for 48 hours. Um, but, you know, ultimately, um, I knew T-Mac was coming and I had talked to T-Mac. He made a visit after Tim and I. Uh, had gone down there and he was from there that was home and so he was in and you know I decided to go with Tim still on the fence um but you know and Tim was like you know come to Orlando or excuse me come to San Antonio and and this that and the other and, and obviously Tim did the right thing but it it almost was a, a big three you know yeah. sort of 10 years before Miami and here's the thing if Tim had come along with me and Tracy, my ankle situation might have been different. And what I mean by that, they may not have rushed me to come back so soon because you had those two pieces. But I feel like there was like pressure 
And, and look, nobody ever forced me to play. Nobody ever put a gun in my head and said, you got to play. But um, I, I think if we had been a little bit more cautious and thought big picture, we might have avoided what ended up happening over the next four years. Um, but that's kind of all how it went down. I mean, it was it was really like the injury really, I think, got me thinking like, okay, they're going to treat me like this. And then, okay, look at this team and like, what have we done? And like all the, they used to start going through the, the whole six years and you realize, and, and, and I think Keith, you've said this before, like the high point was like all-star break 97 and of the Teal era, even though yeah. I was there two years before the Teal, but, but like that was like the high point. And then it was just kind of a steady decline from that moment on. And, and and you start you start replaying all this like all like the Allen Houston stuff and you know you just all these things start and so you, and you're mad and so I think that's what ultimately um, you know led to my decision. All right. So um, if we have time for just a couple more questions, yeah, keep going, keep going. All right. Yeah. All right. So look, as as you said, your the, the your your whole injury. Uh, uh, situation that that started in Detroit, but really lasted all through your a seven year max contract with Orlando, and I think you were injured for five or six of those years, and it was really one injury causing another injury, and uh, it we we don't have time to go into that today, but um if if anyone comes across Grant's new book uh, Game, it, it is a very thorough account of what happened. It, it is pretty harrowing, uh, but. You know, past the Orlando thing, I know everyone had kind of, I don't want to say they had given up on you at that point, but everyone had kind of written you off. Because it, it, we see it all the time in the NBA where a, a, a superstar sustains a serious injury and they just never get back. Right. And you you were gone for the better part of a decade. And, you know, your contract with Orlando finally runs up. You, you do make the playoffs with them that last year, so it ends on a positive note, even – of all of all the teams for you to face in the playoffs, it wound up being the Pistons. Uh, but I, I know the Pistons were kind of interested in bringing you back that summer. You decided against that, and you went to Phoenix, which in retrospect was probably a, a, the right move for you. Mm-hmm. And you wound up – I know Alvin wasn't the coach at that time, but you wound up being reunited with him uh, at that point. But if, if you want to just talk about your, your brief uh, stint in Phoenix and how – you know, you you mentioned how um how Rick Mahorn was kind of like over the hill at thirty eight. Like you were Rick Mahorn's age going to Phoenix, basically, and your your career kind of had a renaissance. It did. It did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was I, I was there for five years. I went there at. So, okay, let me back up for a second. I know you guys want to uh, conclude this, but I gotta talk about that summer because oh, whatever you need to talk about that. Yeah, we want to hear it. <laughs> I was seriously considering going back to Detroit. And um, I remember um, that year in Orlando, the 06, 07 year, was the only year in those seven years where the last game of the season, like I walked off the court and I wasn't hurt. And, and so, um, and so mutually, I think, Although Stan Van Gundy came in and he was the coach and we talked a couple of weeks before free agency, he wanted me back, but we had been through so much. Like, I think I needed a change of scenery. And I think the franchise felt that way too. 
So I don't want to say it was mutual, but it really kind of was. Um, and so I remember my wife came up for game one and her family was up there and maybe it was game two uh, in the playoffs uh, against the Pistons. And we were just like amazed. I mean, she was like, wow, like the fans are like so in, like it's like it's like a whole different energy. Um, and it was it was like what like we really thought about coming back and Joe was going to actually pay me some money. Like it was, you know, I wasn't going to come back on some veteran thing. I yeah. was going to make some money here and come back. And, and so I think ultimately I just, I had been through so much. It was a hard seven years. And I just felt like those memories of my play back in the nineties, for me, I, I didn't, I couldn't tarnish them. You know, I couldn't like, you know what I'm saying? Like I just I needed to I needed to keep those memories as they were and not me sort of now being older and a shell of myself. Like I needed to be playing for the like you know, I just needed that for me. And so I also needed a whole new change of scenery. And so going out to Phoenix, and I remember when I got out there and, and a great training staff and whatever, but Mike uh Mike D'Antoni, who was the coach, he said, Man, you got a lot left in the tank. And he said, the way we play, people think, okay, how are you going to be able to play like this? How are you going to be able to run and do all this with your ankle and all that? He said, actually, this will preserve you because there's not as much physicality. He said, they're all beating each other up in the Eastern Conference. We play so fast, you can't touch us. And he said, he, he kept saying, you, you're going to play another five, six years. And of course, that was the goal. But I, you know, to have somebody tell me that. And so... I needed to end my career in an environment like Phoenix, clean slate. You come in, I think I exceeded the expectations that may, people may have had. I ended up like being an Iron Man. Like I, I played 82 games. I played 81 one year. I think my first year there, I I, I had an appendectomy and 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 had some issues. Matter of fact, I got to tell this. Um, there's so I had an appendectomy. Uh, emergency appendectomy, came back and ended up getting that sports hernia injury. And oh. um, we played in Detroit. And and I had that injury before. I had it in 05 um, and missed a good portion of the 05, 06 season with the Magic. Um, but anyway, so we played in Detroit and Allen Iverson, the great Iverson, threw like this full court yeah. bounce pass. The rip best you ever did. The rip, yeah. And, <laughs> and it was like, and like, I'm back. And like I said, I can't move. Like, I didn't, you go look, Keith, at my, I think I sat maybe the next, I don't know. And I didn't play. I didn't even play much in the playoffs. We lost to San Antonio that year. I could not move. And so it looked like he nutmegged me on that pass, which was a great pass. It looked great. It was part of his highlight clip. I literally could not move and had no business playing in that game. But of course I wanted to play because I was back in Detroit. And right. I think we had Shaq on the team at that time. So we made a trade. I literally could not move. Um, so anyway, I just want to say that that's the story behind the story of, of that play. But, um, but after that season, I think I was like 80, 81, 82 games. Um, I became like a defensive stopper. Um, like it was a totally different role. 
a role that maybe didn't best utilize my skill set because I was used to having the ball in my hand. But just being able to play, be healthy, be on a team that has a chance or feels like we have a chance, um, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And um, it was good after going through a really, really difficult time those seven years in Orlando. Well, uh, you know, that that's uh, sort, of, sort of wraps up our questions about your your career. Now, um, we kind of want to get your thoughts on the current Pistons. They're going through a rebuild. Obviously, Cade Cunningham, Jay Nivey, two very exciting players are uh, kind of leading this whole thing. Um, wh- what are your what are your thoughts on on where this team's going? And, and do you see a, a really bright future for them? You know, I do. I like what they're going through and, and how thoughtful and intentional Troy Weaver and his staff have been, um, you know, getting young assets, building through the draft. Um, it requires patience. And, um, um, but I think the challenge you have is as you're learning and as you're developing is maintaining a culture of doing things the right way. And, and I believe that they're doing that. And, um, you know, I also feel like we went through it in a way in Atlanta, you know, I'm part of the ownership group of the Hawks and we made a decision. Um, you know, we, we bought the team and you had Millsap and Horford and, that whole crew, Kyle Corver, and you try to continue and, and you get to a point where you're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta start over. And, you know, we 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 start building through the draft. We draft, you know, Trey Young and you know John Collins and some pieces. And, you know, a few of those years we're not winning games, you know, we're we're yeah. but they're getting experience and they're learning what the NBA game is all about. And then, you know, ultimately it gets to a point where they start to turn the corner. And from an organization, you make a point, okay, we got to complement these young players with some veterans who can help us win now. And so I feel like we've gone through it and we've been very fortunate in Atlanta, but I feel like we're like a couple years ahead of you guys in Detroit or ahead of the Pistons. So I feel like they're right there. And I think fans just have to continue to be patient. It's a process. You don't snap your fingers and it happens overnight. Uh, it remind, I had a chance to go there and speak to the team recently uh, before the season. And it, and it, it kind of reminded me of like when Alan and Lindsay and I were there, I don't want to scare people because I know people think of Teal and all of that, but it's just like young guys trying to figure it out, like just on the verge of turning that corner. And uh, and so I could see I could see in the next couple of years uh, this team becoming a relevant team, a playoff team and uh, and progressing forward. Uh, but I like the thought process in terms of how they've gone about it. Well, we're certainly hoping so. Um, I, I, I got to ask, though, real quick. And you and you, yeah. you don't last question. I promise. Yeah, you don't have to answer this one if you, if you don't want to. But Trey Young um, had had just an unbelievable showing against the New York Knicks and in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And I just thought he was so cool under pressure, looking at the crowd and smiling and bowing. And, and have you had a chance to give him any props for that? Or have you had a conversation with him about that? Cause that, that was that moment where I was like, okay, this kid's got it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I love Trey. Um, Trey's a good kid. Uh, you know, his dad, is a contemporary of mine, played at um, Texas Tech. He's always respectful of me. I call him young legend. Um, 
I told him after that, I said, man, just make sure if you're ever in New York, you have security. Um, <laughs> but, but he's a showman. Like he loves the big, the bright lights. He loves the stage. And, and that's a quality to have like you know, guys who want the pressure, want the big shot, want the moment. He lives for that moment. And, um, and so he had, a, he had, you know, he had an incredible moment in that series. And, you know, for us in Atlanta, we hope he has more, more incredible moments, but um, a young man who wants to be great is willing to do whatever it takes to be great uh, and um, looks for those pressure moments to, to be great and uh, certainly a special player. All right. Well, Grant, we really appreciate you coming on the show today and uh, it, it has been an absolute blast. And is, is there anything that maybe you want to plug before we get out of here? No, nah, no, nah, nothing. I mean, I just, I'll just say like, I'm, I'm, I've moved on. Um, I'm obviously involved with another franchise, but you know, I'm always a piston and always um, supporting and cheering on and, um, and uh, wanting to see uh, that team and franchise do well. And I, and I think they're moving in the right direction. And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, you know, I think good years are, are are in store for the future. So anyway, my wife's here, so I got to run soon. All um, right. But now, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, I appreciate thanks, it. Good luck. Uh, congrats on this podcast. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, go Pistons. <laughs> thanks, Grant. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for, for taking the time out for us, Grant. And and we appreciate you guys listening. I know it was a long show today, but uh, you know we appreciate everybody listening, and I hope you guys really enjoyed that. And and we will have another show for you next week. We're going to be doing the 1994 NBA draft with the assistant sports editor at the Detroit News, Rod Beard. Uh, really looking forward to that one, and and we'll see you next week.